you look at our team, which is exciting, we really only have the negative part. We only have like 10 seniors, okay? Um, but our junior and sophomore class is big. So we're, we're going to be older and more mature this year in junior sophomore class. The year after that, we're going to have 47, 48 players on scholarship in the junior-senior class that are mature and have played a lot of football and they're big and strong. Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. Your hosts Adam Munster, Tiger, Ryan Konigsberg, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge. Well guys, more optimism around this CU football program than I can remember in a while. It's crazy to think that coming off a 2-10 season. My name is Adam Munster, Tiger, joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin and Ryan Konigsberg. Guys, uh... I think the fan base is kind of on an emotional high right now following the hirings of Jim Levitt as the new defense coordinator and Joe Tumpkin as their new defensive backs coach. And I think there was uh, partly people are very excited about the hire, but then I think there's also kind of this high based off the worry that fans started to have when this coaching search lingered on for two months. And then at the end of that, to still be very excited about the hire just kind of rose their high to another level. Guys, what was your initial reaction when you found out Jim Levitt was taken over as a new defense coordinator? Yeah, right away I thought I thought, wow, that's you know, that's a good hire. And as soon as I started doing more research on Jim Levitt, every single thing I clicked on, I thought, wow, that's even better. And every, you know, video I watched of him, every single thing I the the hire just kept getting better in my head. And I think the one stat which I've tweeted and said a couple times now was the fact that Jim Levitt has won more bowl games as a head coach this decade than CU has been to at all. So, you know, that's that that's pretty crazy that, you know, after all this, um, Mike McIntyre was able to secure a guy with, um, you know, that much experience and a resume that impressive. Like you said, I think there is a little bit of a, of a, uh, a subliminal, you know, extra incentive that people were starting to get so low on who they expected to bring in here, you know. I think if we had a poll on your original hot board of who do you want the most, I don't think Jim Levitt would have been that high um, as, as, as he was in your poll when you said, you know, how, how do you feel about this hire when it was, what, 99% or something were, I absolutely love it. I don't think 99% of people would have said I would absolutely love Jim Levitt from the very start. Well, what's crazy, though, is I think Colorado fans probably reacted as well to this hire as they would have to David Gibbs, who was, uh, you know, option 1A, 1B, however you want to look at it, at the very beginning of this, which is kind of crazy. And then as I reported, Casey Rogers, who's now the Jets defensive coordinator, was very close to uh, coming to Boulder to fill this role in mid-January, and I think fans would have been less excited about him than Jim Levitt. Yeah, the, for the one word that I wrote down there was disbelief. I mean, we talked about Murphy's Law earlier with the basketball team, and we had kind of, football has kind of had that same 
sure. approach the last few years, right? Like everything that can go wrong does go wrong. You feel like so close, it seems like, to a specific recruit or getting a specific coach in here or whatever it may be or getting a specific win, and it just never really works out, right? And you could see that kind of expectation in the fan base as this took a lot longer and longer and longer. And I wasn't really that worried about the timing of it. But when I think his name is Rick Petrie, the coach from Duke. That yeah. resigned and everyone was just like that. Kyle arms Ringo, the one that Kyle yeah. Ringo threw out there. Yeah, yeah. everyone was, <laughs> and even me at that point, I was just like, "Come on, man! There's no way it's gonna get this bad, right?" And of course, it didn't work out that way. Well, also uh, the night before, when the name Joe Tumpkin started circulating around, people like weren't that bummed about oh, that. Yeah. They were like, that was, oh yeah, I could see that. That's a decent hire, <laughs> yeah. and obviously, he turns out to be the secondary. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know. That was kind of interesting to just see how that worked out. And then it almost, when it came out that he was the secondary coach, people were almost less excited about it because he had more of a linebacker background, which I thought was hilarious. People were like, oh, he's cool as a defensive coordinator, but not as a secondary coach. Yeah. Okay. The, um, the, I know, just sorry to cut you off, I know CU likes to have a guy with his background as a defensive coordinator seeing things from the back end as a secondary sure. coach to kind of give Jim Levitt an extra set of eyes and ears out there. And uh, when Jim Levitt met with the media for the first time earlier this week, he kind of he was asked a question about, are you worried – that Mike McDowell, the head, your head coach, has experience as a defense coordinator that he try, might try to meddle in things. And Jim Lovett's like, are you crazy? The more eyes, the more opinions, the more that I – mm-hmm. that's exactly the type of attitude that he needs to have. And so even a guy like Joe Tumpkin, even though he's not the defense coordinator, is going to be really valuable for this sure. defensive staff. Yeah, I talked about that a little bit here. We have three coaches on staff now with experience as a defensive coordinator. And you compare that to the staff when we had Embry here where no one had an experience in anything pretty much. <laughs> it's just incredible how – quickly that can change. I mean, I don't know how you could look at where we were two years ago to now and not say that the staff, at the very least, is much more qualified and we'd be heading in the right direction in that regard. I mean, the more, I, to be honest with you, original hot board, Jim Leather would have been probably, if not one, two for me. Okay. And here's the reason why. Just his experience, like, he started UC, or USF, like, out of a trash can, basically. Like, it was not. It wasn't even a program, right? And so he, there's not one dude out there I can think of that knows how to build a program from scratch more than he does. He's got a lot of energy, but he's got the experience, which is a tough combination. You know, a lot of older coaches, you know, they don't have quite have the personality that he does. And he's got NFL experience. So when you talk about him being like, oh yeah, the more eyes the better. He's on San Francisco 49ers defensive staff. There's a lot of really, really smart people in that group. So he knows how to fit in and get the right pieces from the right guys to run the defense. So to me, you couldn't have more experience in all of the things that are necessary to be successful in this program than what he brings, I don't in my think, eyes. I don't think people would have been upset if Jim Levitt was hired as the head coach when the Absolutely. Mike McIntyre search was going on. You know, you've got John Gruden um, yeah. clamoring for Arizona State to hire him a couple years mm-hmm. back. Um, I know I read a couple message boards threads from whatever small message boards USF has, and uh, a lot of them were saying they want the, they wanted USF to bring Levitt back and give him a second chance as their head coach. So I really think if with his resume of rebuilding a team, I think people would have been happy with Jim Levitt as the head coach during the Mike McIntyre. Yeah, no, I would have to agree. And you see other like programs from around the country. There are a lot of message board threads about wanting to bring him in. Uh, Oklahoma, for one, right off the top of my head. Like, big-time programs, that there were people in that program that thought Jim Levitt would be an improvement. That says a lot to me. The fact that he built 
South Florida's program up from nothing and had success there. The fact that he was part of Kansas State's rebuilding yeah. under Bill Snyder as their co-defense coordinator, and the fact that he's gone against Colin Kaepernick in practice enough, how much does that alleviate any concerns you would have of the fact that he has not been a defense coordinator in the Pac-12 and has not been a defense coordinator in college football here recently with this new uh, trend towards the spread offenses? Uh, I will say, so when he was at South Florida, right, they played West Virginia a lot, who also ran a big-time spread uh, back in the day, and he was 3-2 and two against them. Somebody okay. on Twitter had that mm-hmm. at some point. As well, um, when they were at the you know think top our, ten, yeah, I think it was Jimmy. Yeah, I think it was Jimmy. But that's but but still, that's you know it's credit words too. Credit words. It's a fact. Yeah, I think you are right. That's what it was. And that's fact is fact, right? And that's one of the original. I mean, Rich Rodriguez was the head coach. You still see he's at Arizona now, right? So those um, he's had success there, and I don't know. I mean, to me, Kaepernick. Yeah, he's a spread guy. But he's had success defensively everywhere he's been, and I don't see why this would be any different. It was interesting hearing him talk, and Mike Magadar said you're going to expect a guy with a lot of passion, and he just exudes it in, in his with his interview meeting with the media for the first time. He's 58 years old, but he's got a four-year-old daughter and a three-year-old daughter at home. If you got to have energy to be able, yeah. be able to handle that, so you would know, Adam. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's uh, and I don't. I've only got only got one, and so I can't even imagine <laughs> what he's dealing with. So he's got a lot of energy. Um, he talked about how the identity of this defense is not up to him; it's going to be on the players. He talked about how this is a big time challenge, maybe the biggest challenge of, uh, of his coaching career, uh, as crazy as it sounds, based off your description of South Florida when he took over, Tyler. Uh, what else did he talk about? He talked about. Basically, this is not an ideal situation, having to come in, obviously, and start spring practices within less less than two weeks. But he says, it is what it is. We'll make it work. Uh, he is not going to spend a lot of time watching film on the guys. He wants to really evaluate them uh, in person this spring, which you, most smart football coaches say that. They don't mm-hmm. like to uh, make evaluations on players based off film. So it's going to be real interesting to see just how quickly they can get this defense in place. Obviously, Defense is the main main concern here for this football program, as well as I think special teams going into the soft season. Offensively, it's more about kind of just t- putting in a few new pieces here and there on the offensive line of guard, and just kind of tweaking things and having to continue on in, in the path that it's been going because that that's side the ball. When you say tweaking things, do you mean making Seth Alufau not throw interceptions? <laughs> yeah. That would that would be <laughs> pretty critical. Tweet. That, that'd be number one tweet. Tweet number me. one. <laughs> But uh, anyways, I, I did talk to Brian Lindgren earlier this week, and he talked about how Sefa Lufau is clearly quarterback number one. Different staffs have different philosophies on this. Sometimes the staff says, we want a, a blank slate, and it's going to be up for grabs, and they want competition from top to bottom. I think there's some of that going on. It's not like Sefo's guaranteed anything here. What do you guys think on that? Is it okay for them to say, okay, Sefo, you're the guy going into spring ball? Yeah, for me, uh, I mean, he's clearly the better of the two quarterbacks, well, three, I guess you include Kate Absley on campus right now. I'm, I've, you know, I haven't been as positive about some as Cepho, but to me, he's the guy, like, if Jordan Gierke ends up being better than Cepho this year, we're not improving, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Cepho, good Cepho is better than good Jordan Gierke, to me. So that's how you kind of have to approach it right now is that he's going to be the guy that at this per- at this current moment can make us as good as we can possibly be. So I don't think you go backward. I mean, he's been his backup for two seasons now. If he passes him in the rank, you know, in the depth chart, that's I don't think that's a good sign for the program at all. Well, I would agree with you, Tyler, but I would I would say that 
it was pretty close between Jordan Gerke and Seth Olufa in camp last year. And as Brian Lindgren said many times, in practices leading up to Jordan Gerke's start at Oregon, which was basically a disaster for him, that uh, he had done a lot of good things. And, and Brian Lindgren hopes that uh, Jordan Gerke is not judged just solely on that one game. Yeah. And I think to close the book on him for the rest of his career at CU based off that one start is not the right thing to do, especially considering it was at Autzen Stadium and yeah. he was clearly nervous out there. I'm not disagreeing with you, Tyler. I'm just, but I'm saying there is a possibility that Jordan Gerke could still make huge strides, especially given the kind of dual threat component that he adds. Yeah, to no, I think he definitely has made huge strides. It's just to me, I think Cepho taking reins of that job is what's best for the program. I, mean, I think Jordan has improved enough to be a really quality backup that I would rely on if we needed him. But right now, I think I would have to say that Cepho to me has the most upside. I'm closer to Adam on saying I don't want to write off Jordan Gerke. Uh, I think anyone knows how much nerves can affect you. But I'm also with Tyler on the fact that it's best for Sefo to take the reins. Um, especially when you go from spring, and they're going to have a long summer this year with starting practice this early. So that's a long time where it's player-run practices. You want Sefo having the confidence that he's the guy going into the summer where he can, you know, we talked about leadership with the basketball team and how none of them really have the, their own personal confidence enough to be the leader. You want Cepho to have that personal confidence enough where he can say, this is my team and I need to make sure everyone's doing their thing in summer. So to make sure you have that set, clear quarterback, that clear leader going into the summer, I think is really important. Lindgren did mention the fact that last season the, the losing and, and the turnovers took its toll on Cepho Lufau. He says uh, he's never been around a more competitive player. Um, and he says it really starts for him with recognizing defenses, and that was the issue, is knowing what they're trying to do to bait you into certain throws. And I think that that's one thing that will help Sefo this season. You basically look at it, what, what does he have? A uh, little more than a full season now as a starting quarterback. So it is time for him to take that next step. Guys, what, what's the percent chance that Sefo Lufau begins the 2015 season as CU's starting quarterback? Um, I said 95 and I really and I, and I say this uh, not considering injuries because injuries are part yeah. of the game. Assuming that he's healthy, yeah, that's that's my that's what I think. I mean, I, to me, you can tell that the staff is kind of keyed into him. They've always kind of had his back. If everything goes right according to the staff, that's the guy who's going to be there. So to me, unless something really starts to go the other direction, I, I I'm really really confident that Seth will be starting next year. Either Sefo would have to take a step back or someone would have to come in and completely blow him away because even if it's close, they're going to go with the guy with the experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I've got it, I'll say 95% too. You know, the, there's a 5% chance that Jordan Gerke goes crazy in the summer and, you know, becomes a way better quarterback and blows Sefo away. There's a little chance that Sefo comes in and something's wrong or whatever and he takes a big step back. There's also the chance that my guy Steven Montez comes in and shows that he's ready and he can pick up an offense really fast and take it running. But that's that's 5%. You're at the point of the in this program, though, where you, you don't 
you don't do that anymore at this point, which is a good thing. It's the yeah. program's finally at the point where you don't have to do things like starting a true freshman quarterback yeah, I mean, anymore. My thing is, he's also coming from small ball in Texas too, right? It's not like he's at six. I don't think he played. He played a couple playoff games and played well in those games. I don't think it's much different than had they recruited a, a kid out of Colorado. To be honest with you, yeah, as quarterback. But I still think it's a huge jump, right? I oh yeah, yeah. It's, if he's if he's at the Woodlands like Patrick Carr. Maybe you say, okay, he might be able to come up. Sure. Quickly. I'm not saying Montez is not going to be awesome because he's from there. I'm just saying that's a big jump, and he's not coming in the spring either. Right. And so he has a couple weeks to learning make that move. Yeah. I don't see that happening. Learning an entire offense yeah. with, to get the grasp that Sefa Lufa has on this offense yeah. is not done in the fall camp. It's just not possible. What are the what's the percent chance that Lufau ends the 2015 season as CU starting quarterback? So this question has more to do with your confidence in, in whether he can make those improvements in games next season. Are we excluding injury again? Yes. Okay, so then my percentage is exactly the same. Because I said 80 There's no chance that he lays an egg, turns the ball over a bunch, and then gets replaced? I just... Maybe for a game. I just... I don't... I don't... I don't know. To me, they just... They just don't seem like they really want to make that move. Like, they're giving Cepho... They don't want to, but... This is also not a staff that's going to let him turn the ball over 25 times next year and not replace him. I hope not, but I don't think he's going to do that. You have to think he gets marginally better, right? I mean, you could add a few percentage points down, I guess, but I'm pretty confident he's going to be the starter. I'm going to change the question a little bit before I answer it to what's the chance that he starts every game barring injuries. Um, I think there's a chance that, like you said, if he starts turning the ball over like crazy, they're going to be forced to try something. Um, if he's losing them games instead of you know maintaining or winning them games, they're going to have to try something, whether it's Jordan Gerke. Um, you don't like the fact that uh, I've kind of written off Kate Afsay, so I'll come back to earth a little bit and say that maybe, you know, maybe he does have a good spring and becomes the backup. And it brings something to the table that no one's seen on the field yet. They're going to have to try. You know, they're the ones who recruited him. Um, if you have a guy losing you games and you have a guy on your bench who you think maybe uh, might make some better decisions and at least keep you in games, they're going to have to try something. So uh, I'd say there's a 85% chance, that 10% less than I think he starts the season, that he finishes or he starts every game. Brian Lindgren did say that Jordan Gerke is, is quite a bit ahead of Kate Afsay, so that kind of falls in line with some of your thinking, Ryan. I'm going to say there's, just slightly below you guys, I'm going to say there's a 90% chance Sefo is the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, and I'm going to go down to about, uh, probably about 75% that he uh, ends the season as a starting quarterback. I have a little bit more uh, confidence in Jordan Gerke's abilities, and I don't expect people listening to this to, to even believe me because their point of reference is that Oregon game, so I, it's hard for me to blame them. He did not look like a Division One quarterback out there that day, but I don't think, uh, again, I don't think you can close the book on him going forward. And running back, all of a sudden, you've got the cupboard stocked with them signing Aaron Baltazar, Aaron Gordon, and Patrick Carr on signing day. And so they join the mix there, running back with Christian Powell going into his senior year, Michael Atkins, who's going to be a junior, and Philip Lindsay, who's going to be a sophomore, is this suddenly CU's best position running back? Uh, it's 100% in the conversation. I think there are a couple others up there with it as well. But, yeah, I mean, they definitely have the most depth, right? I mean, you have three guys that you already know you can rely on. And you would, ima- you would imagine that uh, at least two of those guys are going to be ready to go this year, you know, whether they help on special teams or um, in specific packages. I mean, now all of a sudden you have 
a lot of guys that you're confident you can put out on the field and perform at one position, which we haven't had in a long, long time. So you have to be pretty excited about <coughs> uh, the prospects of you know what they can do there. Everybody's kind of they have their own unique skill set, but I think they kind of go together really well. We have a lot more pop at that position than we've had in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think um, I'd say it's either you know one A one B. I th- I, have, I think the wide receiver group. Um, can't be overlooked. You know, you've got the best player on the team, which is Nelson Spruce, which I, I I say that with confidence. And then you've got maybe probably the second most athletic guy on the team in Shea Fields. Um, you know, in that same group. So to me, that's that's got to be uh, one or one A because that that group is is really really good. Plus, you know, coached by maybe one of the best position coaches on the team, if not the best position coach on the team. So I'm I'm really really high on the wide receivers. But something that you have to think about with the running backs. Is people are pretty feeling pretty good about the offensive line going into this season. So when you combine, you know, offensive line, which might be the third best group on the team now, with the running backs who are one A one B, that's a better combination to me than Seth Alufa with the wide receivers. So that to me maybe propels uh, running backs to the top group because they're running behind another top group. And when those two are working in uh, working well together, then that's when you get. Re- great production out of that yeah, group. Yeah, I will say that would open up things for Cepho and the wide receivers too, right? If right. you can get a productive run game, you know, things start to open up, and then that's really when everything starts clicking. I think a position, and we'll get into this later, but just real quick, I think uh, in ter- terms of maybe CU's best position, if Jared Bell comes back 100%, I think safety could potentially be that position with him. Tedrick Thompson, uh, who should have been the defensive MVP even despite missing some games. Uh, Chido Bayouze, if he stays there. And even if he doesn't, Evan White showed a lot of promise. And then Ryan Moeller comes out of nowhere as a walk-on. I think that could be a position, too, that could be in the discussion there. Staying at running back, Michael Atkins and Philip Lindsay are both kind of uh, were limited this winter due to injuries. Their status for spring ball is still kind of up in the air. I expect them to do some things, I think. What we'll just see is some of their their live reps limited a little bit. So you'll probably end up maybe seeing a walk-on like Kyle Evans, seeing some more reps in the spring, and and I wouldn't read into that too much. Um, At fullback, George Frazier really emerged and was a big part of them becoming a better team in the red zone. As soon as he started making plays, all of a sudden they were more versatile down in those short yard situations. He He's listed as a fullback, but this is a guy that can play H-back. He can even play some uh, tight end. This is a guy that really emerged as uh, during during his retro freshman as a guy that's going to be a situational stud for them for the next three years. Yeah, I mean, you're probably hard pressed to find somebody who loves George Frazier more than me. <laughs> Can we get half, you to do the choo choo train? Half, that's what I just did. Half <laughs> of my positive tweets on CU's football season were definitely about George Frazier. So, I mean, I love George Frazier. He just reminds me a lot of a guy like Lawrence Vickers back in the day who's. He not only was he just a physical specimen, but he was also you know a big cog in the pass game too. And I think, you know, they can use him in a lot of different ways. He's shown that he can catch the ball, and he's just a really physical presence. And you add him with an offensive line that appears to be getting more physical and a more than capable running back group, we're gonna have a lot of fun with George Frazier over the next three years. Yeah, I, I'm, I really love George Frazier too. I mean, he's just he's got that that it factor about him where he. He is the physical specimen, but he also loves to just bring it. You know, uh, you talk about guys you want off the bus first. You probably said Stefan Nembot first out, but George Frazier is right behind him, and George Frazier, you know, actually is is that physical instead of just looking that physical. Um, so I think you know, you, you know, the question was how how would you like to see him utilized in any way you can, in any way that you can get the ball in his hands or have him lead blocking. 
you, I, I want to see them take advantage of having a guy out there who um, physically outmatches most people who are going to be going up against him. Um, mm-hmm. So coming out of the backfield, getting catches or, or you know getting carries in, in short yardage on, on the goal line, whatever it is, get the ball in his hands and utilize his unique skill set. Moving along to wide receiver, unfortunately Bryce Bobo is not going to participate this spring after uh, having shoulder surgery. Lee Walker still coming back from injury, so a couple guys that are out of the mix there. One guy whose development to me is key this offseason is Shea Fields. Yes, he caught 50 passes as a true freshman, but he didn't scare other teams. And other teams, after the Cal game, started to bracket covered uh, Nelson Spruce. That did open up things for the running game. It opened things up for other guys like a Shea Fields. But if Shea Fields can really develop his game, all of a sudden they can't put all that focus on Nelson Spruce, which would be huge. Yeah, to me, what's missing with him is just physicality, right? I mean, he's pretty frail last year as a freshman. Yeah. You, so you get him out in space, and you can see he's real shifty. Like he, he can make some cuts and make a few guys miss, but he's got to be able to take that next step, and somebody who's arm tackling him, the second person who comes in, he's got to be able to break that. Because once he gets out in the open field, he's got really good speed. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he was pretty, really pretty solid as a true freshman. I mean, you look at <coughs> Nelson Spruce's progression throughout college, right? He didn't have huge numbers until last year either. He had a pretty solid sophomore campaign, but... He he definitely has a big time chance to. He's going to get a lot of ball, a lot of balls his way because people are still going to continue to focus on Nelson for sure. And I just think as he continues to get more comfortable and more physically prepared for the college level, he's really just going to kind of take off. I really like his you know his potential. I think we're going to see more moments of him. Uh, sorry to cut you off, Ryan. Of the first play of the Arizona game, over the top. Yeah, that's the game part of his game that needs to evolve because yep. I think the intermediate to short stuff he was about as good as you could hope for last season. Yeah, well, I think the place where he needs to take a little bit of a step forward is route running. Um, uh, he wasn't a bad route runner by any way, and you you mentioned him getting you know a lot of good catches in the intermediate. But from Nelson Spruce's freshman to sophomore year is when you saw him go from being a good route runner in high school to a great route runner, and or maybe it was ju- sophomore to junior, whatever it was. There was a step in there, and all of a sudden he went from being a good receiver to a threat. It was midway through his sophomore season. Right. So, you know, um, if Shea Fields can become that, you know, really dangerous route runner that Nelson Spruce has become, then, you know, you look at him taking a big step forward because he's obviously quicker than Nelson Spruce, um, not quite as physical. But if he can use that quickness in, in, in his breaks and getting uh, away from from you know the secondary, I think that's where you're, where, you, where you'll see him really take pressure off Nelson Spruce is when he can beat um, people with his route running, not just his speed. Yeah, I think you see Nelson. Uh, he kind of physicals himself to being open sometimes, right? And that's what you can be a great route runner if you don't have to be that open because he's physical enough to, you know, not only catch jump balls, but he's going to get to the position he needs to in the route regardless of where the defensive back is. With uh, the slot receiver position, the, obviously D.D. Goodson's eligibility is exhausted. Brian Lindgren said something, uh, he wasn't even prompted to say this. He, he mentioned that D.D. Goodson did a lot of things in the ground game as a blocker that we did not notice as media members or the fans didn't notice. Um, so I think there might be a trap to go, okay, Donovan Lee and Jay McIntyre together in that slot role are going to be even better than D.D. Goodson. And I think that is a possibility, but it's not a foregone conclusion. Donovan Lee was used in a lot of variety of ways. He needs to learn the playbook because when he was on the field last year, the other team was starting to figure out that he was going to get the ball. So that's the key for him. But Jay McIntyre, I've been defending him since uh, he was a high school recruit because 
Colorado fans had this this issue following the Cody Hawkins Dan Hawkins debacle. This is a really good football player. He's a crafty receiver. He's really quick and in uh, has great short area quickness. He doesn't drop footballs. He's got a chance to be something special. Yeah, he's a very solid Wes Welker, Danny Amendola. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he really is. He's he's undersized. He's physical for his size. You know, he he played quarterback and he played in the secondary um, in high school. So you know, he can take a hit. He can give a hit. Um, I think in terms of uh, catching the ball. And route running, I think he uh, alone is is an upgrade from D.D. Goodson. Um, D.D. Goodson, the reason he was so good in that running game is because he was so built. And sometimes I feel like he was so built that it made it hard for him to catch the ball. Like, his, he couldn't get his arms over his head because he's just like this little bowling ball. So, you know, uh, Jay McIntyre, I, I think we saw him, obviously not watching him 100% of the time, we saw him drop like one pass all last fall camp. Um, and obviously, Troy Walters talks about how Nelson Spruce dropped zero. So, you know, in terms of being a guy who can catch the ball and route run, I think he is an upgrade. But the funny thing, too, is about halfway through camp, you're not really watching the secondary field, which Jay McIntyre was playing on. They, you know, have simultaneous reps going on with two two fields. And you're watching the ones and twos. But you still notice Jay McIntyre because you look when every time you look over the other field, he's making a play. Or you're hearing you know them celebrate a touchdown, yeah, and you look in the true. balls in Jay McIntyre's hands. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm ready for him to say to say that they're going to be better next season. But I think long term, I mean, you're, you're comparing senior to senior, it's no close, no question. Both of these guys are going to be much better than Dee Goodson was here, um, which is really what you're looking for next year. <laughs> it's certainly possible. Yeah, I'm not really, I'm not 100 percent confident in saying yes, it will happen next year. I mean, they're both. Haven't really gotten a whole lot of playing time. It's kind of an experience thing, um, but I mean, they're going to be both of them are going to be big time pieces for this program going forward. There's no question about that. This spring is huge to me for two guys: Devin Ross, who redshirted this last season, and Elijah Dunstan, uh, a guy that is a redshirt freshman, didn't get on the field. Uh, or I'm sorry, he's a sophomore now. He didn't get on the field as a redshirt freshman, and these guys are going to get some extra reps because of Bryce Bobo and because of Lee Walker being out. Uh, there's only so much room, I think, on this jet chart because you've got some proven guys like Spruce and Fields and Bobo and Lee, and I think McIntyre is going to be in that group. Devin Ross and Elijah Dunstan, this is kind of their time this spring if they want to emerge and get on the field, I think. Yeah, I hope uh, Devin Ross spent his entire retro year standing in front of one of those things. That Jugs machine? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, he's got it all except for the hands. And so, you know, if he, uh, if he was... Learning how to catch the ball that whole retro year, then um, he could easily get his way yeah, in here. I mean, Didi wasn't great catching the ball either, so but, I don't yeah. know. But there's no way to find your way off of a depth chart as a wide receiver better than dropping the ball yeah. in practice. Um, isn't Elijah still hurt? So he's out for spring too, right? Is he? He tore his ACL, okay. I'm pretty sure. Well, then I guess it, Devin Ross, yeah. this is your time. This is your time to shine. Yeah, I think it, we, we've been opti- we're very optimistic about running back, optimistic about receiver. Kind of questionable about quarterback given Cepho's propensity to turn the ball over. Tight end is a group that I have a hard time being optimistic about. I think Sean Irwin is serviceable, and that's about all I got here. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can really say. I mean, my, my response was, isn't it always? <laughs> right? I mean, it's they just don't really seem like they have the personnel to use that position as well as maybe McIntyre would love. Uh, Dylan Keeney hasn't come back from injury and. In, it's got to be almost a year at this point. No, he had ball camp, right? You know, he had surgery midway through the season. Well, he was hurt before the year too. Though. I mean, he That's never true. really yeah. got yeah, out yeah, the field, injury. Yeah, yeah, at any point. So we haven't really seen him at all. So it's hard really to rely on him. 
Um, and unless Justin Jan comes in is physically ready to go and they put him in that McCullough tight end flex position, I, I just don't really see anybody being that productive. Brian Lindgren told me that Dylan Keeney and Hayden Jones are slated, and he said he's really frustrated they're not going to be out there this spring. Uh, Hayden Jones also coming back from shoulder surgery. They're going to play that big tight end role that Tyler McCullough did, so they're not even really true tight ends, Yeah, those two guys. Yeah, well, I'm sure that we talked last year at this point about Dylan Keeney putting on weight and that sort of thing. I'm sure that injury makes it really hard for him to do that. So He has not put it on any weight. So um, essentially he's, he really is just a big wide receiver at this point. So, I mean, And he could be very good in that right. role. But if, we, if he lives up to the, the hype that he had coming in, he had some of the best senior film of any uh, big receiver slash tight end that I had seen in a long time. He looked like a four-star recruit on, on film to me. It's funny. I saw Tyler McCulloch tweet that he's put on 20 pounds since graduating or something uh, of muscle, and I was thinking, you know, if you would have done that a long time ago, you probably could have become a tight end, which is where everyone slated you when you came. Anyways, moving along, I think that's enough for tight end. You guys have anything you want to add here? No. I think we've exhausted the, the topic there. On the offensive line, uh, we talked in our postseason show about the fact that that group had exceeded our expectations more than any group. And a big reason for that was Stefan Nembot having the light finally turn on. I can't remember specifically what game it is. I want to say it was about maybe five or six games into the season, kind of close to the midway point where it really seemed to click for him. Oregon State, maybe? Sounds about right. How close is he from being a legit NFL prospect? He's got one more year. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of legit NFL. I'd say uh, top f- top four rounds. Top okay, three rounds. I don't think he's there yet for sure. But I, I, most people are projecting him to get drafted now, which you know, compared to watching him last season when you know he was yeah. like a revolving door, <laughs> incredible <laughs> progress as it is. I mean, you know, I was probably harder on the offensive line than anybody leading up to last year, and they were, in my eyes, phenomenal. And he was the number one guy on the list that's really taking the next jump. I would not be surprised to see him end up being a top four round type of guy. I mean, the NFL is going to love him physically. He's going if he goes to the combine, they're gonna, you know, salivate all over the place. Um, and if he continues to get on the same progression, he the improvement he made last year, I, I don't see any reason he wouldn't be a top. Four. I mean, Colorado has proven to get quality tackles into the league, so you might say that doesn't matter to coaches, but it does. I mean. They, they guys that you see come out of specific programs and that continue to do well. They those those guys seem to go higher every single year. And you're surprised Columbus ends up getting signed right. And same thing with Bakhtiar. I think he went higher than a lot of people thought he was going to go originally too. So I'm a college guy, Tyler. You you follow the NFL a lot closer than I do. How many offensive linemen do NFL squads carry beyond the starters? Uh, well, they have. It depends on the team. It just depends on. That's my worry about Stefan Nembot is that the team is not going well, to be patient had, enough. Because no, they had backups at every position for the most part, and then sometimes they even carry three deep on the interior. Okay. So um, it, it really just depends on the, the type of style that the offense runs. I mean, you, you guys like that run more of a spread, I'm sure, have a few less linemen. But then keep in mind, almost every team keeps somebody on the practice squad, too, on the line just in case of injury because it does happen so often. Um, so to me, I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't get drafted at this point. We'll just see how he plays throughout the year to figure out where he's going to be in that list. Yeah, I saw him as ranked as high as 13 at tackle. I mean, that's right and left, right? So you're probably looking at that's probably the bottom half of the fourth round. Okay, but that's the highest I saw him right now. So I'd say if he went, you know, this last season he might have been, you know, sixth, seventh round guy. Um, he has a chance to, to, I think, play himself up into that fourth round where you 
draw the legit line. Um, so if he shows you know another step of improvement and really locks that position down where you don't see his name on Twitter getting called out in any game or you know on the message board saying what is Stefan Nembot doing? You know guys are running right around him. Mm-hmm. If he really becomes solid where that right side of the, the offense is you don't have to worry about it, then that's where you know he he starts moving up and he he's already shown you know shown himself in the run game. So I think you're going to see them going to that to that side running the ball a lot where he'll have a chance to showcase that skill set. Yeah, when he was uh, really starting to improve last season, he told me the key was he had finally gotten to the point where his footwork was down to where he could get to where he needed to get. And now the next step for him was using implementing his hands and having the you know being able to use that uh, because uh that's something that he didn't have any concept of knowing how to do his first couple of years um with somebody that really struggled he, i mean this is a guy that comes from he's a, he's a prince out in africa really struggled with having to deal with the fact that you have to take a few steps back and wait for that defense alignment he wanted to initiate the contact so it seems like he's finally got that part of the game down obviously both guard spots are up for grabs i think at right guard shane callahan is going to be your front runner to win that job and i think um, he's going to have every opportunity to, to have that job this season. Uh, and then Jared Coe did some really nice things as a backup in limited action last season, coming in at times for injured guys at left guard. And he's just a mean football player. He's going to be so much more physical than K.E.V. Crab. but then you, you're losing something with the experience of K.E.V. Crab and the technique aspect of it. So how, wait, big, how big are the, the shoes that these guys are filling? So you're saying Shane Callahan didn't end up winning the Heisman last season? <laughs> yeah, it's. It would be nice for a, a former four star to live up to the hype of it, you know, at some point here. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right in terms of who's going to fill those shoes, and um, both of those guys are more than capable to um, fill and exceed um, what they came into. I think it's going to be. Um, uh, it's a good thing that they're going to have, you know, the spring and the fall to get together because it's always tough to slot into um, an offensive line and kind of get that chemistry going. But you know, with all that time, you're not you're not um, like Shane Callahan coming in during the fall last season. It's hard to work your way in that quickly. So now that he's had all this time, I think you'll really get a chance to see him settle in and um, you know get to work and live up to that that hype. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm kind of on board with you in saying that Munyer was the best lineman on the team last year. So obviously that hole is going to be bigger to fill than Crab. You know, the coin term that I always use is he's just a guy, right? Sure, a veteran, experienced guy, but Crab is much more replaceable than Munyer. I think Munyer was the more talented. He was probably the mo- most underappreciated player on the team, in Crab. my opinion. No, Munyer. Daniel Munyer. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, Cole in, in games last year was super impressive. I mean, my personal preference is always to have them, a physical guy out there, and he impressed me in terms of that. I, I like Mahler types. Um, I think these two replacements, you, in the last four or five years, every time we replace somebody with a different lineman, you're kind of concerned. We've kind of downtrended. I think this is the first year where I don't see any issues replacing these two guys on the line with Callahan and Cole. I, I, think, I think they're going to slot in, and we're going to be just fine there. This is going to sound weird, but I'm kind of excited for uh, Cephalufau to take a late hit and see 
Gerard Coe get after somebody because he's going to be the guy who doesn't stand for something like that. Um, you remember that UCLA game a couple years back where it was an Mbot defending his guy. You'll you'll see uh, Gerard Coe get in the face of somebody if they're getting in there late on Cepho. I do need to mention Sully Weefels, uh, who registered last year at junior college transfer, and Jonathan Huckins, who saw some action at center and guard last season. Those guys will definitely be in the mix. It's not a foregone conclusion that Callahan and Coe are going to be the starting guards. And then you got Sam Cronsage, who played a little bit and has a bright future at tackle. This is the most depth that I can remember on a CUO line going into a spring practice in a very long time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this I remember last year just wondering if we were going to be able to block anybody, and you saw how it turned out. I mean, we were pretty good last year. This is the by far the most confident I've been about an offensive line at CU since I was became like a close watching fan since I got to college in 2005. To cool. me, so yeah. Going over to the defensive line, there's a lot more uncertainty with this group. There's a lot of potential when you look at the fact that they've got three junior college additions. They have Samson Kafavalu back. But it, it's really unproven at this point. And my question for you guys is: You got all these, you got some of these fresh faces. You've got all these guys back. Is it kind of just t- time to let the cream rise at the top this spring? For sure. I mean, it's about time that we have the ability to do that, right? I mean, you've got a bunch of guys who now we believe to be capable, rather than last year just kind of plugging in someone and hoping that they blew up. I mean, Derek McCartney, I think, has proved himself to be pretty capable on one edge. Um, I really liked what Jimmy Gilbert did last year. We'll see if he ends up. At times. Game. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not big enough, right? I mean, yeah. you saw when he when he got the move that he needed to, he was he did pretty well, but he needs to, a lot of development. And then the inside guys, I mean, we have bodies now. Uh, I mean, kind of the same as we were saying about um, Kylie Crabb, um, you know, Judah replacing, Parker. yeah, thank you, replacing Judah Parker on the defensive line is not a huge concern to me. I, I think especially with Samson Kafavalo back, if he can, you know, stay the course we're going to be better at that position than we were last year um so to me i'm pretty excited about what these guys can do i think we should be more physical stopping the run and i think it's really going to help josh stupo as well because now he's going to get a little more freedom to do the things that he's capable of yeah i think there's a lot of potential there i'm just going to segue us into the next one and say i think uh mcintyre is um over cuddling coddling uh samson kofavala right now in the media i think he's talking about up really high because he wants Samson, you know, to hear that and feel like he's a big part of this thing and feel like he, he, you know, could would have been one of the best players on the line last year. I just, I just don't know, you know, being away from the game, not getting that many reps in that long, it's a lot to ask of him to come in and be the one of the best guys on the line. I, I just think there's a lot of obstacles he has to get through before he can be a big contributor for this defense. Even when you consider that he'll have all of winter conditioning, spring ball, summer conditioning, and then camp before the season starts, I think that's enough time to get off the rust. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's enough time. To, I just, I don't I don't know if, I, I feel like McIntyre is starting to talk him up like he's going to be this great player. I just think he's good enough to be above average. Samson Kafabalu this is his last chance at CU. Uh, he's had issues uh, throughout his career. You talk to Samson Kafavalu, and he's kind of soft-spoken, and he seems like a really nice kid. And I made the comment to somebody in the athletic department before uh, his latest issues, that before his sabbatical going back home, and I said, gosh, he seems like a great guy 95% of the time. And the staffer said, well, it's the other 5% you really got to watch out for. So can he... 
can he stay out of trouble? I don't know at this point, Tyler. I mean, it's not just one issue he's had. It's been throughout his career. It's, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's definitely hard to trust a guy like that because it's, you know, you are who you are is a statement for a reason. If that's the case with most people, I mean, obviously he's growing into a man, so things change. But it's hard to, like, really give 100% that this guy's going to be okay. I mean, I will say since he's been back, he hasn't caused any distractions at all, and you haven't heard anything about positive things, which is a solid start. Two months, but, yeah. But Not even two months, yeah. Yeah, but it does, you know, it's one of those things that it, he, he doesn't get to be great 95% of the time now. Yeah. He, he has to, there is no slip-ups. What's tough is some of that those, uh, the craziness that he has works to his advantage on the football field. Yeah. Some guys just have a really hard time turning it off, and yeah, he's clearly sure. one of them. Yeah, I mean, he's not the first guy that that has a mean streak that plays football, and he's really talented, but it gets him in trouble off the field. I mean, he won't be the last. And, you, you know, you talk about NFL, there's a lot of issues with violence going around. And, you know, he's not alone, but, you know, hopefully he can get it worked out. There's a an old story of those 1990 teams and some of the crazy personalities they had on that team. Well, Coach Mack would, you know, choose certain players that he knew uh, were at risk of uh, having off-the-field issues, and he would send one of his staff members out to literally spy on them while they were out at night and w- make sure they weren't doing anything. And if they were, they would jump in and you know make them go home. So it's almost, if McIntyre believes Samson Kavala is that important, he, he might need someone to follow him around at all times to make sure he's not getting into any trouble. He, yeah, he, uh, he's rooming with Josh Shupa. I think like a guy like Derek McCartney would be a good influence type of guy for him. One guy we don't talk a lot about, but I think we're all high on, is Tim Coleman. I think mm-hmm. we, if there's a guy that could really take the next step, and in, in, like you said, Tyler, Derek McCarty solidified himself, the next closest to me to doing that is probably Tim Coleman. Yeah, I mean, I love him. We talked about in fall camp, I talked about him a lot. Every time that he was healthy, I was always, you know, well, Tim Coleman doing something else. He's he just got the right body type. And you saw, I don't remember who he ran down last year on the sideline. Lasco in the Cal game? Yeah, Lasco. Dude, that was an incredible play. He's got some wheels. So I, I'd like to see it come together for him. I feel bad because he's had a lot of injury issues. But, yeah, I love Tim Coleman. I think he definitely has a chance to be a really solid rotation. Piece. I think it came out after that he ran track in high school, right? <coughs> pretty fast. Dude. He was like 11 flat guy in the 100-meter dash <laughs> as a big guy before he tore his ACL. That's pretty good. That's like one of those things you hear about like NFL guys like Vince Wilfork and their athleticism for how big they are. Yeah, and uh, one guy we forget about is Tyler Hennington. This was a guy that was running first team with the defensive ends last spring until uh, he tore his ACL, so he'll be back in the mix. It's crazy to think a defensive tackle, if everybody stays healthy, you could have a starting group of Josh Tupo, Justin Solis, backups in Kapovalu, Jordan Carroll, a junior college All-American, and your third stringers could potentially be Eddie Lopez and Clay Norgar or Jace Frank. That's about as more depth as we've seen there. I think that's been kind of the common theme going through this position is depth, and you have it in some spots there. Linebacker maybe not so much, although they, Mike McIntyre did mention this week that they're moving Christian Shaver from defensive end uh, to inside linebacker. He's going to play there. Um, you've got Kenneth Olobode back. Uh, Addison Gillum will see what uh, his health situation is going forward. Uh, if you're going to be concerned about a group defensively, I think this is probably the one. For sure. I mean, you you go outside the top two right now, there's not a lot of experience there, and I'm not really sure there's a lot of talent there right now either. Um, Oleg Bode was not very good at the beginning of last year at all. I mean, I thought he really improved maybe even more than anybody else on the team last year. Um, I was pretty hard on him early, but he definitely made a lot of plays toward the end of the year. 
And Addison Gillen, we know, is a stud when he's healthy and when he has the right weight, but he's got to get there. And they're both pretty tiny right now, so we better hope they both stay healthy. Um, NJ Follow is a guy that probably is going to be relied on to play early, and I hope he's ready. He certainly looks ready. I mean, he his film is probably just as impressive as anybody else. We forget about him because he gray-shirted, but I think Grant Watanabe, too, has a guy inside linebacker that could be pretty good. But, again, we just we simply don't know yet because he hasn't practiced yet at this, at this yeah, level. We, lo- we loved him time. coming out of high school. Though. We did. Yeah, he's been out forever now. I don't think, I don't think he's, he's not practicing, is he? Well, he was in, he was in uh, still using crutches and in right. a cast or a walking boot until about a month before he got yeah. on campus and in I, January. I follow him on Twitter, and he's still doing physical therapy, so I can't imagine he's going to be out there. No, he's not going to be participating. I'm just yeah. saying long-term, he's a guy that people are going to forget about that could be a player for well, him. Gonna, at that point, he'll be out for a year and a half. Well, I think you, you definitely want to redshirt him. Yeah. There's no question yeah. about that. Uh, yeah, you know, you guys basically covered it. I just think... It, it, you hate to feel this way, but the, that entire group and the way that people feel about them is going to come down to Addison Gillum. If Addison Gillum gets back to where he was, uh, you know the other guys that he's surrounded with will be covered up a little bit because he's such a tackle machine. Um, but if Addison Gillum is, you know, where he was last year, only maybe only a little bit above that, all of a sudden that looks like a bad group. And there's really no other way to mask that. It's going to end up looking like a bad group. Yeah, I think it's the only group right now that if there is an injury at a position that we have to avoid, it's linebacker this year. And there, Which there are a couple is a others, position that gets injured more right. than most. There are a couple others where last, you know, you see safety last year, right? And, you know, you lose a couple and get ugly in a hurry. This year we kind of have depth there. Um, there's a lot of positions we'd be okay at if we lost somebody this year at linebacker. Is the one position, to me, we cannot have a major injury. I'm curious to see what Jaleel Iwini looks like at linebacker. He moves over uh, as a walk-on transfer quarterback, was a starting quarterback at Air Force briefly before he left there. Uh, he's going to play outside linebacker for the Buffs. Deshaun Rippey is a guy that I'd like to notice him in practice. Yeah, no, I don't have any faith in him right now, not to like laugh. But one, people keep saying that he's like the next guy that's going to start. They're like, he's the, one, the top three, right? He's going to start that third. It's like... If you guys watched him at practice, you would know that's not the case. He's, he, there are flashes, but to me, I'm not relying on him to be a key part of this defense. Actually. The flashes have been few and, and far in between. But, you know, if there's one thing that I, I can say that I can maybe give Colorado fans a little bit of hope about him turning around, um, I talked to someone who spoke with him recently, and he was completely ecstatic about Jim Levitt, um, you know, for the for the sense that he's kind of getting a, a second chance at a first impression here. So that, you know, maybe I'm being optimistic or naive, that gives me a little bit of hope that he's going to say, all right, it's time to really bring it because I, I get it, you know, like Jim Levitt said, he's not going off film. He's going to come in here and see these guys and what they can do. And obviously when you see Jim uh, Deshaun Rippey walk onto the field, that's going to catch Jim Levitt's eye right away. If he can come out there and, you know, really give it all he has and show something with all that physical ability that he has, then maybe um, something changes. Yeah, I mean, worse, I mean he's got to be on the second string of the defense pretty much. I mean, they don't have any other bodies. So, I mean, he's going to be still They could still move Taron Hassel back over to outside linebacker. They could still potentially move Marquise Reed back there. Uh, they could potentially move Jimmy Gilbert there. There are You're not going to put Jay Sean Rippey out there over those other guys I mentioned, that, you know, that could move over from defensive end if he's not ready for it. Yeah. I mean, they got to be ready for it too. I was, it was, 
excited to see that they announced Shaver today because he was a guy that I thought was overmatched at the end last year, but had some ability if they put him back at linebacker. I really actually like that they're putting him in the middle too. Um, so I think that could actually work out really well. I, I like him as an athlete, but I just felt like he was overpowered on the edge. But, you know, he's 80 pounds lighter than most of the dudes on the offensive line. So. Yeah. Well, in the, in the defensive backfield, they've got depth, and we realized last year that how important depth is, especially at safety for them. Uh, we don't know quite if we're going to get the Jared Bell back that was the Jared Bell pre uh, tearing his ACL for the second time last year in camp. Last time he had that ACL, it took him a full year and a half to really get it back to the point where he was effective. Uh, but Tedrick Thompson, arguably, the can we call him the the best young player on this defense? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Cheeto too, I guess. But Cheeto both, Bay, was it? But yeah. Both. I mean, you, I'm really comfortable with both of them. Kenneth Crawley, a cornerback, who really finally emerged last season. Akella Witherspoon, I think I still have some questions about him. Very lanky frame, maybe not the most physical guy, but really good in coverage, really good at ball instincts. John Walker is a serviceable guy. I think you'd like to maybe see him go back to being the backup nickelback this coming season. Afalabi Laguda, junior college transfer on campus. We don't know much about him. We know he's a versatile guy that can play any of the three defensive back positions. Evan White has a lot a bright future at safety. Ryan Moeller came out of nowhere as a walk-on. Uh, so a lot of names I just threw out there. Guys, if you were today assuming that Jared Bell is going to be healthy for next season and is going to get that waiver for a sixth year, what would be you? What would be your ideal starting five in that defensive backfield, including nickelback? Um, for me, I have Kenneth Crawley on the outside with a Keller Witherspoon, uh, Cheeto Bay in the nickel, and Jared Bell and Tedrick at safety. Um, I just think that that Cheeto's a better corner, I think, than a Kello, But I think Cheeto is a better nickelback um, because he's big enough to handle tight ends, and he's physical enough to support in the run game as well. I just really like him in the nickelback position to me. Um, yeah, I'd go with that. I also would kind of like to see them find a way to get Cheeto to play corner just because I think um, McIntyre talks about, you know, playmakers and creating turnovers, and I think from that position he's um, really lethal in that sense. And having big, you know, that physical corner over there, it, there's something to be said for that. But considering um, I think he's a, a, a very sizable difference between him and John Walker at the nickel, less than there is a difference between him and Akello at corner. So I think, you know, if you can have Akello out there playing corner well, then you'd be happy with that. I'm going to throw a curveball, and I'm going to say Kenneth Crawley, Cheeto Bayouzi at corner, Jared Bell, and Tedrick Thompson at safety, and... Ryan Muller? Ryan Muller at nickelback. Wow, I like that, I like that. He, he reminds me of Parker Orms before Parker really got banged up in terms of um, just his instincts and his ability, his closing speed. I think it would be fun to watch him close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean he's already pretty good on special teams. I'm gonna so. cheer. I'm gonna cheer for that. Man. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great, great death piece for sure. I mean, if, if they had they had John Walker starting in the nickelback role for a lot of last season, so. Ryan Mole is plenty big enough to play in that role uh, if they wanted him to play there. I don't know if he practiced there. I mean, they closed it up to the media. I don't even know if that's something they've even messed around with. Uh, before we sign off here, guys, special teams. And this is a big concern for this Colorado football program. Puncher-wise, we're really not going to get to see what Calix Kinney can do until fall camp. Obviously, he's not on campus. How big is this spring for Diego Gonzalez? I think, we're all, I think Colorado fans are just kind of holding their breath on, on this situation. Yeah, I mean... I, we heard there were some injuries with him last year, but in camp he was less than reliable. So 
I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I mean, he's pretty good in kickoffs most more often than not, but I don't know. He's he's going to scare some people, I think, in field goals if he looks anything like he did last year. Like I said, he was um, dealing with sports hernia last year, so uh, you know I'll give him a pass on that season. Um, I think you you asked how big it is. It's huge. I mean, he's got to start making some field goals and making it look easy um, from you know the, the thirty to forty range because um, that's where you got to be good at, as a kicker. Um, you know, so much of kicking is mental. Um, this might be a weird angle to take here. He's living with Derek McCartney and Seth Lufau. Those are, those are, you know, two, I think, very good influences on him in terms of a mental game. Both of those guys um, have it together pretty well mentally. So, you know, um, grasping at straws, I guess, for, for ways that uh, Diego Gonzalez can improve. But um, I'm, I'm really cheering for him. He, you, won't meet, you won't meet a nicer guy other than Jerry Bell on the team. Chris Graham is on the roster as a walk-on, as a place kicker as well. Ryan, you're kind of our resident special teams expert here. Is he a guy that could be at least consistent from like 30 yards and in? Yeah, that's that's where I think that's why I say it's it's so big for Diego to make it look easy on those because Chris Graham he, he can make those he can make you know 30 yard field goals, um, but that also means that they're not trotting anyone out there. They're, you're going to see a lot of going for it on fourth downs if he's your starting kicker. Going to give Wyatt Tucker Smith. We didn't have to talk about him at all last year, which means he did his job. Yep. Oh, I talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a couple times. You're right. You're right for sure. I did want to throw off. Why, him. though? That's my because question. Because he's good. Yeah, he's <laughs> um, a few underdog pieces, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I had him in there. Hashtag sleepier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no one, no one knows his name that doesn't follow us <laughs> yeah. and that's a good thing I just didn't want to throw out with all the depth along a lot of the other positions I think this year the coverage units have a chance to be much improved they have over the years when you talk about guys like Ryan Muller um, Ryan Severson uh, even Jaleel Weenie I think now that he's not playing quarterback has a chance to maybe be on some coverage units he's a good sized guy Evan White John Walker MJ Follow all guys that are you know they're going to hit somebody on coverage units I think they have a chance to be quite a bit better there I did uh, skip over something earlier that I think we should talk about briefly. What should be the major points of emphasis for CU this spring? For me, it's the same one word for both sides of the ball, turnovers. Yeah, that's exactly what, that's all I wrote, too. Uh, so, you know, Seth had 15 last year, only Jameis Winston had more at the FBS level. And on the other side of the ball, they only had three interceptions. And only one team, Buffalo, in the FBS had less interceptions than CU last year as well. So those, I mean, you can you can make a defense look a lot better if you're actually creating some turnovers. Um, you know, that's that's how teams win games. I mean, turnovers are a huge part of football. I mean, they change momentum. They can do a lot of different things. Um, I mean, if if you can find a way to turn the ball over less and get a few turnovers in the other end, a lot of those close games are going to be close games. Anything else, Ryan? No, I mean that's it. That's what it is. It's turnovers. <laughs> yeah, pretty clear. Spring practices do begin at CU on February 16th. The first three practices will be closed to the uh, public and media. I guess you can show up the first 30 minutes of practice. Unless you live really close to the practice fields, I don't really recommend doing that because the first 30 minutes is kind of a photography window where they do mostly individual stuff and they'll stretch and everything. So you're not going to see a whole lot. Make plans, though, for February 21st. It's their fourth practice from 8.40 to 11 a.m. It's going to be an open practice. That's a Saturday morning. You guys can come out and see this team. And then, again, you go back to closed practices all the way up until March 14th. 
which is uh, also a Saturday. That will be a, an open practice from 9.50 to noon that day. And then the next day, the spring game will start at 2 p.m. If you don't live in Colorado, can't make it to that, it'll be on the Pac-12 networks. So I'm, I'm Somebody will make a play that, mean, that will make the Pac-12 networks talk about them for the entire season. Yeah, last year was Akella Witherspoon Bryce and Bobo. Bryce Bobo. Yeah. The way Curtis, Con- Curtis Conway would not let go of that. It was still like the 10th week of the season, and he was talking about Bryce Bobo like he was an all-conference guy. It's a, so prepare yourself for that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. I think this is probably the most optimistic. When's the last time we were this optimistic about the football program during a podcast? Uh, probably since before I started coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a while. Uh, still, I mean, this was a 2-10 and 10 team last year, so it's not like... Uh, uh, we're, we're setting expectations too out of the whack, I hope. I hope that it didn't come off that way. But there's certainly more depth on this football team and more reason to, to have hope going forward. Um, real quick, though, I mean, are we still – if you had to say today, is this a ball team in, in 2015? No, and I think it has to do more with the schedule than anything else. Um, you look at who we play at home, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that they're going to beat any of those teams more often than not. The conference schedule is just it's still extremely tough. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I, I would be surprised if we're favored in any conference game this year. And when that's a reality, it's tough to predict. They're going to have to win at the very least three games to get bowl eligible in league. Um, if you're not favored in any, it's tough to win three. So, yeah, yeah not for me. Mike McIntyre, you're going to hear him talk about how he's only focused on Hawaii. He's only focused on Hawaii. Well, that's a good thing because, to me, Hawaii is going to end up being the most important game of the season. If they don't win against Hawaii, they don't have a chance to go to a bowl, in my opinion. So, um, you know, uh, I guess... They pretty much have to go 4-0. They do. They do. That's what I'm saying. And Hawaii, to me, is the hardest game on that uh, schedule just because it's on the road. And so... They got to beat Hawaii. They they have to beat Hawaii, but uh, if I had to pick no right now, no, they're not a bowl team. I think... um, Six wins would be a great season that everyone should be really happy with, and yeah. that doesn't get them to a bowl. Yeah, I'm, I'm teetering back and forth between five and six wins yep. right now in terms of my expectations. Well, we ran a little longer than we were hoping to, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed the show, and we'll be back with more spring ball coverage. Stay tuned to buffstampede.com. I got props from the kids on that